So I pray for your blessing in this class. Thank you for everyone that is here. May the clarity of my words be also clear to the ones who will listen. And I praise you in your name. Amen. We are going to start right here. The nature of the resurrection, two important fundamentals. That's where your notes should be at. And the first one is this. The resurrection, it was bodily. It was a bodily resurrection. This is just a little bit too hot up here, Mr. Jeff. I got a little bit of reading. Thank you. It is a bodily resurrection. That counteracts what is called when the Apostle Paul is writing to the early church that counteracts the belief of Gnosticism which says that Jesus didn't raise bodily but only by spirit. But it was a bodily resurrection. In other words, the body that died is identical with the one that was raised. He was noticed. He was recognized. It's interesting that he was recognized after he spoke to individuals. The first one was Mary, as she was in the garden coming to anoint the body of Jesus for his death. And she recognized that the stone was rolled away. And she saw an individual walking in the coolness of the morning, and she said, suspecting that the individual was just a gardener, she said to him, where have they taken my Savior's body? And it wasn't until Jesus spoke that she recognized that it was Jesus. Another time, it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is walking with two individuals and he begins to share with them truths of what has just happened. In fact, they asked him when Jesus asked them, why are you guys doing this? What's the problem? And they said, I'm paraphrasing from the Greek to the Wygan syntax. Well, you just wake up? <laughs> they said, aren't you aware of the events that have just happened? And then Jesus begins to open the scriptures, but they didn't recognize Jesus until he went into their home with them. And then Jesus, when he broke the bread he started to say something. Then they were awoken, awakened, excuse me, to who he was. And isn't that how the gospel is? Jesus speaks through his word. And then you begin to recognize who he is. When individuals, you know, ask you, how do you know you're saved? 
Well, it's easy. That's based upon the Word of God in 1 John chapter 5, 11, 12, and 13. He that has a son has life. I'm taking Jesus and His words, and all of you the same way. You came to faith by grace because you heard the Word of God. The words of God informed us that we were lost. And then the Word of God spoke to our hearts. And we acted upon it. We recognized who He was and is. And so at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what makes it so earth-shattering is that it was a bodily resurrection. We laid to rest my my mom uh, five years ago now. And I can take you to her gravesite and open up her casket and her remains, whatever's there is going to be there. But Jesus' tomb is empty. I'm going to let you in on a little secret too. Buddha's temple, his tomb is full. So is all the other religious leaders doesn't matter who they are, their remains are there. But Jesus' tomb is empty. He was raised bodily. And it was recognized. It was a transformed body. It was transformed from the issue that when you go to Luke chapter 24, Jesus shows up when everyone else is is locked in. He doesn't knock on the door. He walks through it. But at the same time, while he is there, he asks for something that's very interesting. He says, you got anything to eat? And so even though his body is transformed... It still needed to be nourished. It's a great opportunity for us to reflect upon one day our bodies are going to be transformed. I can't wait. I wonder what it's going to be like to be able to move and to be without the effects of sin. To be totally transformed. In a moment, Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last sound of the trumpet, will the dead in Christ arise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with them, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Perfect. Sinless. Not any instance of any hint of evil. Now, I, just, I must take a political break right here. Would someone please give me a reason why there are over 650,000 ballots more than there are registered voters in Michigan? The thing that amazes me is this. 
is that how is it that no matter if you're Republican or Democrat, I'm not getting into that thing, but how is it that individuals would think that that's okay? That we can bypass the laws. That we can do just what we want to do to get what we want. Well, I'm here to tell you there's going to be a day that that's not going to happen. There's nothing I can do to get what I want. Jesus has done it all. And in that transformed body, I, I can't wait. They say beauty is, is only a surface and ugly goes all the way to the bone. I can't wait to be transformed into beauty. Apparently you didn't get that one. That's okay. First of all, it was bodily and it was transformed. It is distinctive. It was distinctive. It, was, it, is, it is different from all other resurrections. What makes it different? In all of those scriptures, you'll find the exact same phrase, the first fruits. Jesus Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of all that is yet coming. It's the first one. That means it's the best. Hasn't been copied. Cannot be duplicated. Won't in any way be sustainable other than through Jesus Christ. And so it is different from all other resurrections. And secondly, it sets the pattern for and establishes the character of our resurrection. You see, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the grave bodily, then there's no hope for us presently and also no hope for those who have already gone before. Paul tells us in the passage that are there, 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ had not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Our preaching is foolishness. It sets the pattern for what is yet to come and establishes the character of our resurrection. Almost sounds like an Easter sermon more than a Thanksgiving one. Come Wednesday night, we'll try to do something different. The agent of the resurrection. How did it happen? Who was involved in it? It says Christ himself was involved in his own resurrection. Jesus says, I'll lay down my life, but I'll also bring it back. I'll do that. I can do that. Also, God the Father is involved. And the last one, yes, you guessed it, God the Holy Spirit is also involved. The Spirit of God. 
which is dynamic because, dear people, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a foundational proof of the triunity of our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were all involved. They were all a part of this glorious truth, theologically difficult to understand at times, but it is a truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And the reason they're all involved in it is because they all have the same essence. They are God. Everlasting, eternal, majestic in all that they are, powerful in all that they do, imminent in all of their being. And always working together. So all three were involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a a theological significance of the resurrection. Now, if you just hang with me for about two more weeks, we'll finally get to what is and is not salvation. But you can't appreciate what we have until you fully know and appreciate the one who's provided it. I know this is, at some times, theology is, beats even a glass of warm milk. It'll put you to sleep. I understand that. But these truths are dynamic in the understanding of how wonderful and how great what our God did for us and is still doing for us. It didn't change over these 2,020 years. It didn't change from Genesis chapter 3. It didn't change from Genesis chapter 1 when God said, let us make man in our image. They're all involved. And that's the dynamic of our believer faith, that there are significance, theological significance in the resurrection and as to the person of the Savior. The significance of the resurrection shows to us four things that are significant to the person of our Savior. First of all, it demonstrates his deity. He is God. He's God and God alone. I know I belong to the elite group of elderly here. Some of you youngins may not even remember a singer a number of years ago by the name of Steve Green. Uh, He he, he sang and has recorded a song that's very powerful. It's, in, it's entitled, God and God Alone. And you can probably find it on YouTube somewhere. He doesn't look like then. He doesn't look like that now. But back then, he was powerful in his presentation of the truth of Scripture through song. 
And the idea of it is, is that he is God and God alone. And the resurrection points to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Deity. It is his deity. It also demonstrates his messiahship. That's the reason he came. He came to die. He came to fulfill the will of his Father, who was in heaven. He came for the purpose of offering the perfect sacrifice that God demanded. And because of that, from his resurrection, it was proof of his deity, messiahship, and lastly, his saviorhood. He is our Savior. He's the only one who died for the sins of mankind. And lastly, it was a confirmation of his veracity and prophetic ability, truthfulness. In the Matthew passages there that you have, it's written there for you. These passages, Jesus makes mention of the fact that he is going to Jerusalem to die, and in three days, I'll raise again. And if that didn't happen, then Jesus' words are false. But because of the resurrection, it confirms the veracity and the prophetic ability of our Savior. That's as to the person of the Savior, but how about his work? The significance of the resurrection as it relates to the work of the Savior. It was essential to the past finished work. Uh, we need to clarify what we're talking about here. Turn to the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all, we are of all men the most miserable. The point there being, at least in this point, it was essential to his past finished work, is that those who died in Christ, the passage says, then they're still dead in their sins. And there's no hope for them. Past meaning, the fact of it is, is that, (coughs) excuse me, the past meaning that those who have no longer breathing earthly air, if there's no resurrection, then they won't breathe heavenly air. It's also essential to his present session. And what we mean by that is this. is that Jesus Christ in his resurrection is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. The reason it is essential to his present position or session is this, his work as sender of the Holy Spirit and power. Jesus said in John chapter 16, I will pray the Father, and he will send to you another comforter, Holy Spirit. If Jesus had not risen from the grave and is not presently seated at the right hand of the Father, then there's no such person as the Holy Spirit. So that's why it's essential that to his present place. Also, his work as a high priest his work of the high priest, whereby we can come to him and he represents us before God our Father. His work as the head of the church is also essential. For if Christ had not risen, then the church is not born, and we're just futile in our worship here this morning. Not only that, but also his work as Lord of creation. But here's the section that gets me in, gets me crazy. Crazy good. It was essential to his future work. This next point, I'm going home. We're going home. We're going to be where Jesus said he would take us. John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. To guarantee that we're going home. No, I do not agree with feudalists, nor do I agree with those individual naturalists who say that life, once you die, that's it. 
You're nothing more than worm food and you go no other place. I do not believe in new spiritualism whereby they say you come back as something else. They call it reincarnation. But reincarnationists cannot answer one simple question. What do you come back as? I've never met a reincarnationist that says, I can't wait to come back as a fly. I've never met a reincarnationist that says, I can't wait to come back as a cow. Which, by the way, the people in India, all of those cows, people are starving, and the food market walks the streets free. But they won't touch them because they believe that those are reincarnated individuals who have come back and their karma has made them a cow. That's not, to me, that's, that's not an upgrade. <sighs> but I do believe this, that one day Jesus Christ has taken us home to be with him Thus shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's also essential to his future work because of the judgment of mankind. He will judge all of mankind. You can place there, if you wish, Revelation chapter uh, 22 where it talks about the books to be opened, um, 21 and 22, excuse me, Revelation 21 and 22, when it talks about the books to be opened, where death and hell give up their dead, the sea give up their dead, and they stand before the Lord, and the books are opened, and whose name was not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire, reserved for Satan, and his angels. Jesus Christ, because he arose from the dead, he's the rightful judge of all mankind. And also, it's essential to the reign over Israel on David's throne. He's the king. And he's coming back, dear people. Revelation chapter 19 Jesus Christ is coming back to reign on this earth and he will reign on his father David's throne in all of Jerusalem. Do not for, the, do not for one second think, now I'm not highlighting this just to be a political credence or whatever, but the issue of President Trump moving the capital, or at least the uh, ambassadorship from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem is very, very important because when Jesus comes back, he's going to be sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem, not Tel Aviv. That's man's capital. God's capital is the city, Jerusalem. That's where Jesus is going to reign from. That's for another message for another time.
as far as the personhood, but also as the scriptures, as to the scriptures. The truthfulness or the veracity of the writers, it substantiates their reliability as prophets. They wrote concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Christ had not risen, then you can take this Bible and every other Bible and throw them in the river. But our Savior has risen. And that's the dynamic. Not only were it's the trustworthiness of the record. It is a verification of the God-breathed character of the scriptures. God spoke. And it was going to happen. The psalmist writes, Thou didst not leave my soul in hell, nor didst thou see corruption. Coming December the 1st, that particular portion of scripture is found in one of Handel Messiah's arias. I will be playing from my office Handel's Messiah. I'm sure that thrills all of you. As to the ascension of the Savior, not only did Jesus Christ arise from the dead, but he ascended. And the nature of his ascension is this. It is a matter of prophetic anticipation by Jesus Christ. The 14th of John makes mention of the fact, I go to prepare a place for you. If Christ did not ascend into glory, then our place is not yet prepared. I don't know how many years ago it was, but there was this character that was walking around the streets of California. Maybe you saw it on the news. He was proclaiming himself to be Jesus. I guess a reincarnated form of Jesus. He never could quite do the same miracles that Jesus did. He could never produce the kingdom that Jesus said he would rule over. If California ever needs Jesus, it's now. Amen? That's my third political announcement. That's, that's true for Pennsylvania, too, by the way. Jesus anticipated that he was going to ascend into Glory, But it's interesting also that it is a matter of historical records. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. Jesus ascends from the hilltop in front of his disciples. And while they are there, an angel comes to Jesus, or comes to the disciples and says, Ye men of Galilee, why are you standing here watching this Jesus taken up from you, don't you know that the same Jesus will come again in like manner? And so it is historical record. 
You can also put this next to your notes there. Put Josephus. Josephus in his... Oh, I forgot what, what volume it is. I think it's volume three, where he writes as a first century historian, he writes the fact that Jesus Christ not only died, was buried, rose again, but he also ascended into heaven. And no one has been able to refute the first century historian Josephus on anything that he wrote concerning the Roman Empire, because that happened during the Roman Empire. And he commented on that. In fact, he said, this Jesus who is known as the Christ. Don't know if I'll see Josephus in glory. I got all eternity to find out. But his words, from a historical perspective, are unrefutable. You've never seen George Washington, but you believe historical writings, don't you? We see evidence in Washington, D.C. of an individual that was named George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. We got evidence of it, and no one refutes that. No one ever says, well, the history book was written by man. Well, duh, yeah. And no one refutes that. But yet when it comes to historical reality of Jesus who is the Christ, everyone gets up in arms about it. But it's still a historical truth. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and was seen of many. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 2 through 4. From a historical perspective, It is unarguable. Plus, the tomb is still empty. Anyway. It is also a matter of early doctrinal confession that individuals in the early times of the growth of the church confessed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I've got to quickly go through these. We'll come back to these, but I want to get through these. I'm not going to do. That's no, not going to help. We better stop here. I don't, I don't want to get too much ahead and, and leave you hanging. Keep the notes there. We'll, we'll get it all finished. But uh, we're going to look at the, the theological significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ, why it had to be the way it was, and for what reasons, okay? Ah. Uh, I'm letting you out of class early. 